0: I think that's his last chance to get saved. Son.
1: Manuel doesn't know we're watching him, right? Ain't no man. We're good at this. What I mean is, if we were being watched, would we feel weird? I mean, like a six sense kind of thing? Ah, forget it. To know him. You can't get to heaven. If heaven. you don't beat it, pal, you might get to heaven right now. Oh, it's a, nice day. a world that is free from the nightmare of
0: drug abuse. A world of peace and tranquility. Free! Now, me. Wrong way to go, Skates. You're not gonna bust me, Crockett.
1: You scum, you damn dumb. Okay, lady. Okay, free. back okay. up, lady. He's Of God's creatures. Nice work with the book. Freeze! Miami Vice!
0: Crockett. Tubbs. Castillo. Gina and Trudy. Zito and Switek. Together they are the OCB. They are Miami Vice. And this is the Vice of Miami podcast.
1: Do you remember the fast cars, flashy clothes, big money, and all of the heavy players on the 1980s most iconic TV show Miami Vice? Then this is the podcast for you.
0: Join Mark and Tim as we review each season and episode covering all of the details such as a storyline, stars, music, fun facts and locations, and as well as trivia in which you can participate. Get ready for the Vice of Miami podcast.
1: Welcome back, Vice fans, to the Vice of Miami podcast for show number 28. Mark and I are always glad you are joining us. We hope you enjoyed our last show covering whatever works. So as always, sit back, relax, grab a beverage, and enjoy the Vice of Miami podcast covering Season 2, Episode 3, Out Where the Buses Don't Run.
0: And Tim, this one's written by Joel Cernow and Douglas Lloyd McIntosh teleplayed by Douglas White McIntosh and John Mankiewicz, directed by Jim Johnston, and the original air date, October 18th, 1985. And the summary for this episode, Crackett and Tubbs stake out a drug dealer, an investigation that's being helped along by an ex-cop that seems to know a bit too much about the case.
1: It's now time to cover the guest stars and briefly list the co-stars for this episode. Mark, you take the first one.
0: Thank you, Tim. First up, we have Bruce Travis McGill as Hank Weldon. Bruce, born July 11, 1950 in San Antonio, Texas. He began acting there in high school and graduated from the University of Texas, Austin with a drama degree. In 1977, he made his film debut in a CB radio movie, Handle With Care. His next role would be as most famous as Daniel Simpson D-Day Day Day in National Lampoon's Animal House. Great movie. A role he would reprise in the TV series based on the movie Delta House. Other movies he appeared in include Tough Enough, Silkwood, Wildcats, End of the Line, The Last Boy Scout, My Cousin Vinny, Rosewood, The Insider, The Legend of Bagger Vance, The Sum of All Fears, Lincoln, Ride Along, and its sequel Ride Along 2. Some of his TV series appearances are Quantum Leap, Wolf Lake, The Magnificent Seven, CSI, Star Trek Voyager, and 19 episodes of MacGyver. He also starred in some Law & Order shows, Criminal Tent, SVU Special Victims Unit, and he had a regular role in his series, Rizzoli Isles. His most recent TV appearance is in the series Shades of Blue. McGill married Gloria Lee in 1994 and have no children.
1: And Mark, next we have David Russell Stradhorn as Marty Lang, who was born January 26, 1949, in San Francisco, California. He graduated from Williams College in Massachusetts, studied at the Ringling Brothers and Bailey Clown College, then performed as a traveling clown in the mid-70s. He made his film debut in 1980's Return of the Secaucus Seven. Then guest starred in sales movies, Met One and Eight Men Out. Straight Horn, then appeared in Lovesick, Silkwood, At Close Range, Call Me Memphis Belle, A League of Their Own, among others. His TV appearances include Spencer for Hire, five episodes of The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd, the TV movie Day One, The Equalizer, the TV movie Heat Wave, eight episodes of Big Apple. The Sopranos, Monk, House M.D., and his Emmy-nominated role in the 2012 TV movie, Hemingway and Galfor, Also starred in Alphas, The Blacklist, and his most recent TV appearance in the series, The Expanse. Strat married nurse Logan Goodman in 1980, and they have two sons, Tay and Eb.
0: Okay, Tim, next up we have Richard Wade Peterman Born december fifth, nineteen thirty two. He was an American singer, songwriter, and actor better known by his stage name Little Richard. He made his acting debut in this episode as the Reverend Marvel Quinn who preaches the gospel beside Beachside in this pool, sorry. Little Richard was born in Macon, Georgia, the third of twelve children. He grew up in a religious household amid the poverty and racism prevalent in the South at the time and that exposure to religion would guide him for the rest of his life. Richard began his recording career in 1951, but he really had no hits through 1954. In 1955, Little Richard changed the lyrics to a song he wrote called Tutti Frutti, and it rose to the top of the Billboard Hot 100. Over the next three years, 16 Little Richard singles were released, seven of which reached number one, including Good Golly Miss Molly, Lucille, Long Tall Sally, and Slippin' and Slidin'. In 1977, after nearly being shot by a close friend due to a drug debt, Little Richard returned to his evangelism and abandoned his rock and roll partying lifestyle, recording gospel music once again and preaching to a packed house in churches. He found a way to merge his rock and roll music with his gospel and recorded Great Gosh Almighty for the movie Down and Out in Beverly Hills. He was part of the original Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction class of 1986. Richard has only been married once to Ernestine Campbell from 1959 to 1962. He went through what he called the period of bisexuality during his parting days, but has not had any serious relationships since his marriage ended. Little Richard died of causes related to bone cancer in Nashville, Tennessee on May 9, 2020 at the age of 87. Briefly go over to co-stars. The only two we have listed are Sandra Periro as Girl with Bible. And Scott Randolph as Manuel Skates Santino.
1: And Mark, now it's time for the goofs, fun facts and locations. Our first goof is during the I fought the law scene, Tubbs is clearly not driving the Cadillac. At one point, they make a lane change, yet he hardly touches the wheel.
0: And the next goof we have here is while lying in wait at the Stiltsville boathouses, Tubbs puts a magazine clip into his M16 twice.
1: And our first location is 1144 Ocean Drive, Miami Beach, which is the opening scene where we have skates rollerblading along and we also meet the Reverend Quinn preaching to his flock.
0: And another location, which is Weldon's House, that's at 4400 Northeast 2nd Avenue in Miami.
1: And our last location is MacArthur Causeway East, Alton Road, North 8th Street, Miami Beach East. Washington Avenue South, 5th Street West. And that is the car route that Crockett and Tubbs take to a final meeting with Weldon.
0: Jesus, next time take a easier one to say.
1: And now we're moving on to Miami Vice in the News. Actor Bruce McGill, who starred as Weldon, co-starred as Vaughn in a Lifetime movie called Buried in Barstow, starring Angie Harmon, that was released on June 4th, 2022.
0: And Tim uh, we have a passing of one of the stars of Miami Vice. Philip Baker Hall just passed away on June 12th, 2022, of undisclosed causes. In Miami Vice, he played federal Judge Delaport in the Contempt of Court episode, which we have yet to cover. But he's also known for Three O'Clock High, Ghostbusters 2, the Rush Hour movies, Boogie Nights and a cop role as Lieutenant Bookman, the library cop, and the TV show Seinfeld. We pass along condolences to families and friends of him. All right, let's go over the trivia portion. Last episode, we asked when Crockett and Tubbs go to the South Beach Bar and sit with lead singer J.T. What drink does Crockett order? That would be a blackjack. Take a listen. Hey, Crockett. Hey, hey, J.T. Hey, what's
1: happening, Chubby? How are Change of climate. What's it gonna be? Blackjack. Virgin Colada. This week's trivia question is. At the very beginning of this episode, a song was played as Manuel was skating along Miami Beach. What is the name of the song and the band who recorded it? As a bonus question, which TV show did this song become the theme for? You can post your answers on this episode's Facebook post, or you can email us at viceofmiamishow at gmail.com.
0: Okay, Tim. Let's get into the discussion for this one. And Tim, it's been a while since um, we always say grab a beverage. Tim, I have a beer from Illuminated Brewing. I'm sorry, Illuminated Brewworks in Chicago, and this is Orange Sunshine. It's a saison ale brewed with lemon and orange zest. So let's give it a whirl. It's a feel like temperature of over 100 degrees here in Chicago.
1: Very nice. Here in North Carolina, the real feel was up to about 98 today.
0: A nice light very light color. Looks like lemonade. I always pour with a lot of head, so give me a second while it goes down here. Oh yeah. Very good. I get more lemon than orange. It's a very 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 pale. Uh it looks like actually like a kind of like a cloudy lemonade. But It's real smooth, it's got that little, uh, I guess you could say, bite that lemons really have. Um, it's tasty,
1: it's kind of probably like, like a table. summer shandy,
0: yeah, kind of like a shandy, exactly. It's a little bit more bitter than a, a shandy because shandies are kind of more smooth, but this is a this is very good. Illuminated Brew Works, Orange Sunshine. Um, I tried picking ones that have to do with like Florida or Mammy Vice, so there you go. The... With Sunshine State, so there we go That's there, There's our tie-in for Miami Vice Right, Tim? Very nice Okay, um, I guess we can start out I'll start out, Tim Okay, we have the opening scene here Which the music is playing In the background, and that's a trivia question So we're not going to say it, you got to guess at it So anyway, Crockett and Tubbs Are following Manny Skates Santino A low-level drug dealer in uh, Along the beach here, they're in their spider and he's just scoop skating along, listening to his uh, Walkman. No, they didn't have iPads back in the iPods back in the day. But um, the first question I have, Tim, is this sash that he's wearing, like a gun belt, is that full of tapes? Because I've never seen something like that before.
1: I would, I weird. would like to think so. Especially if he had that yeah. Walkman, it's yeah, he's just jamming at not-
0: tunes. He's he's diddy bopping, pumping yep. the fat beats. He's <laughs> ditty bopping. <laughs> so anyway, skates here uh, comes up to a, pretty much the crowd. They stop near a preacher who is Little Richard, and he, Little Richard here, is sending his flock out to get those donations in the cans. And the only gun toting ushers here are Crockett and Tubbs. <laughs> Crackit gets a feeling as they stop that he's being watched, and he, they are from across the street. Maybe like a second, third floor apartment or something like that. Someone's watching them. Tubbs says something like a sixth sense and pretty much laughs it off. Tells them to forget about it. Not actually knowing there's an unidentified figure photographing them from a nearby building. We'll get to who that was later. So anyway, they're watching skates here. Come up to some other guys that were waving them down. Obviously, they want to do a buy here. and Tubbs move in. They give the slip to one of the Bible thumpers. And then they bust skates. And he tries to take off, but stopped by a Bible swinging disciple of Reverend Marvell Quinn. They're they're on this chump, low-level guy, probably just a small bust, and but it and it definitely evolves into something bigger.
1: As we're gonna find out, because now we move on to the OCB. Crockett and Tubbs are giving the rundown on skates to Castillo, and in walks Hank Weldon. He introduces himself to the trio and shows them the photos he took of them. Three are dismayed as to who this dude is and how he strolled right in. In fact, I believe he was asked, how did you get in here? And he said, I just walked in. We got absolutely nothing with this Manuel Skates Santino. I say we put a tap on his phone and see who else shows up at the
0: party. Good morning, guys. Check it out. I think Skates takes a better picture than you guys. You gotta admit, Sonny, you got style. Who are you? Hank Wilden. How'd you get in here? I
1: walked in. Good security. Hey, crack. This is a good one of you. What's this all about? What's the world coming to you guys won't even shake my hand? Okay, okay. so I'm retired. I used to be a detective with Miami Vice. I guess that counts for nothing around here. Wait a minute. I remember you. You're Hank Weldon. I used to hear about you when I was coming up. This guy's a hell of a cop. Sonny Crockett. Pleased to meet you. My partner, Rico Tubbs. After some confusion, Crockett knows him as ex-vice detective that he heard about while he was just starting out. Castillo in no way is impressed by Hank and quickly points out that the target of their investigation Gates's employer is Freddy Costanza, who is insignificant. The person they really want is Tony Arcaro. Castillo wants it checked out. I believe they they are—they immediately were trying to find out who he is, get the rundown on what happened to Hank because there was that discussion about him retiring or leaving the force. And I don't remember exactly if Crockett said it was because of mental health issues, but they go to Gina to run down the file and then Hank obviously knows what's going on. And before she could even get any info out, he gives... His file gives her his file number.
0: Right, right. He's kind of sidled over her shoulder. Yep. Oh, here's my file number. Blah 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 blah. I mean, he kind of knew what was going to happen, right?
1: As much as this guy was out of balance, or as Tubbs called him out, where the buses don't run, mm-hmm. he was he was very he was a very smart detective, and he was very right.
0: He was clued in of of, of what was going to happen.
1: Yes. As as much as he seemed detached from reality, he wasn't. So now the vice crew is mulling over files and watching old video about Akaro learning that he is known big drug, big time drug dealer. He disappeared five years ago after he was famously acquitted on a technicality and is presumed dead, despite the fact that his body was never found. They had a they had a little short video of Acaro on there, basically bragging. Crockett asked the gang if they'll follow the follow the nut job, meaning Weldon him and Tubbs review Hanks's file. They are clued into Hanks's old partner, Lang, and they said, we'll go, we'll go uh, deal with him tomorrow.
0: So moving along, we're uh, nighttime along the dockside here. Um, Weldon, in his own goofy way, tells Crockett and Tubbs that when O'Carrill disappeared, Costanza took over his organization with Ray Pinchada as his lieutenant, and that Pinchada is going to have Costanza hit at lunch. Uh, during lunch at the Ocean Club the next day on the orders of Akaro, Like like I just said, he seems to know what's going on before it's going to happen, or he seems to know the flow of things. He's got his
1: fingers on the pulse of he, this investigation.
0: So anyway, moving along here to St. Vitus Dance and, uh, and then Marty's office in a little bit. Uh, Tub stops by the St. Vitus Dance and also admits to having weird dreams about Weldon. So they they'll both kind of clued in that, yeah, this guy really isn't on the level more or less. I mean, he's, he's not, uh, he's not you know, breaking the law and stuff, but he's just weird. But yet he's within line of knowing what's going to go on.
1: He's walking him through the investigation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Lockstep, basically. Uh, Crockett, you know, ending the scene here, Crockett's got some sage advice for Elvis. So anyway, they stop by Marty Lang's office later on and they try to find out more about the oddball Weldon. Uh, Marty tells him, uh, we'll, we'll go with Lang. Uh, Lang tells him that Weldon was obsessed, way obsessed with Akaro, building a case against him over three years. And then when Akaro was acquitted and released, he pretty much suffered the mental, uh, mental breakdown and didn't just up and quit. He, he kind of went wacko. Um, Akaro, um, I'm sorry, Weldon's wife, Lorraine, who loved him deeply moved away and changed her name to avoid him. Uh, all the while, Weldon was given medical discharge from the police force for the. <laughs> we're assuming the mental instability here. Yes. So we're assuming. Um, so anyway, Krocket and Tubbs, they leave the uh, the kind of the uneasy meeting with uh, Lang, suspecting that Lang is hiding something. We shall see, shall we, Tim? Yes, we will.
1: You were his partner. Look, I've only been in this office a couple of
0: weeks. I gave a secretary a bunch of pictures. I told her to put some up. This was not supposed to be one of them. It's a nice bust, Marty.
1: Hank Weldon. Want to know about Hank Weldon? Why don't you pull his jacket? I've got nothing to say.
0: If you had nothing to say, the smart thing to do would have been to have left the picture on the wall. Police until left. You want to
1: talk about it, Marty? We pulled his jacket, Marty. Weldon Henry, Miami Vice, 1968 to 79. Said he was a good cop, medals, commendations, your partner. Quit the force. Quit? Let's quit the force? Quit. <laughs> 10-4. You want to tell us your version,
0: Marty? Not a version truth.
1: So when they exit the building after seeing uh, Lane, they find Weldon sitting on the hood of Tubbs's caddy eating lunch or whatever he's doing in Tubbs. Get the hell off my car. He asked them.
0: I'm, I'm, t- t- I'm surprised that Tubbs didn't <laughs> lay a smack down on his ass. Exactly.
1: Throw him off of that. That's a classic caddy. Yeah. Uh, he asked if Lane told me he was crazy, and after tossing a bottle and nearly going berserk, when his offer's of help is rejected, he takes Crockett and Tubbs to his house to meet Lorraine, a computer containing pictures of Costanza, Pinchada, and Bernie Wingo, who briefly managed Arcaro's business before he mysteriously disappeared not long after Caro. And it's kind of funny, he named the computer after his ex-wife. Yep, that's Freddie Constanza, all right. Good picture. Nice labeling. Wait a second. Ray Pinchada and Friends. That's Bernie Wingo. I just saw an outstanding warrant on him this morning.
0: Really? What do you suppose he's doing talking to Mr. Ray Pinchada? Of course I could be wrong. But I'm not. Wingo used to retail lots of our Carol product in the old days. Disappeared pretty much after. Gee, I don't really remember when. Do you?
1: He disappeared after Arcaro disappeared. Right, right, that's right, 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 right,
0: right. I remember now. So, if he's back, talking to Rape and Chata, I wonder if that means anything. That's something to think about, maybe. I agree, too.
1: And then his mood suddenly swings from drastically calm and cool to irate, incensed, and verbally violent, without provocation, screaming that he wants a caro before begging to go to lunch at the Ocean Club to watch the hit on Costanza. Before leaving, Tubbs takes that big-ass <laughs> floppy disc out of Lorraine.
0: <laughs> I, I wonder if I had a token ring adapter on it. I would think so. Oh, director. Uh, Tim, I'm thinking uh, Weldon. Um, Weldon here, he's just obviously hell bent on getting a Carl or finding him. At least in this in this point in the episode, he's hell bent on getting a Carl, um, and this is his only reason, pretty much, for walking, uh, watching Crockett and Tubbs for sure, as they were onto anyone that had any tie to a Carl. So he he was probably just keeping an eye out. Maybe he had some internal help. You know, hey, we got this low-life drug dealer skates, kind of tied to Carl. So, hey, he'll just uh, shadow and Tubbs, and here we go, right? So, anyway, at the Ocean Club, Crockett previously checked the reservation list and found that there's no Costanza scheduled for lunch or any meal on that matter. Weldon says, oh, gee, that's just too bad. Do you think he's going to put in his own name? And in walks Costanza with his friends. And guess what? The hit goes down just as Weldon said it would. Some other lowlife comes in, caps uh caps Costanza. Crockett chases and shoots the hitman down, then they arrest Weldon for not reporting the planned crime professionally. But I kind of found this odd. He kinda of told him, yeah, there's gonna be a hit. Right? How it's did he know? Point. Right. But I don't know it if it doesn't there was ever how answered. he knew. He'd... Right. It doesn't but he told them.
1: Yeah, he told them. So his duty done. I guess. Reported them. I yeah. think. I I really think that their arrest was because they felt he had something to do with it. He, well, ordered, he probably planned he it. Maybe. Ordered, yeah, he planned and ordered it. Uh, right. That's, that's what I'm thinking because plausible. Okay. He was there so. You go. <clears throat> he was so fixated on this case and anybody mm-hmm. surrounding Arcaro.
0: So anyway, at OCB Castillo questions Weldon's sanity. Uh, and says he was a good cop, and he's a good ex-cop, and as despite his apparent uh, mental instability, everything he has claimed has come true. So anyway, they further discuss the other Costanza buddies, and then uh, Castillo here decides to release Weldon because he really got no—they've got no meat on him. So God, cut um, him, him loose. Uh, so anyways, into a different office of OCB after a few sparks and a quick whiff of ozone. Uh, Switek hooks up a computer for Crockett and Tubbs to have a conversation with the disk that uh, Tubbs snuck away from Lorraine on a DOS um,
1: disk operating system. Yes,
0: MS DOS, Rickard DOS. After going through uh, many, many password attempts, they finally get into the program with the password being Crockett and Tubbs. And I'm thinking, okay, this had to be, this had to have been a plant. This disk. By uh Weldon and they had, knowing that knowing that they were gonna swipe it, right? And they
1: had to know that because then uh, instead of the computer locking out, it asked you can ask for the password.
0: Right. Normally you just have to I, I think back in those days you just keep guessing and guessing. It didn't give like uh you know your iPhone five and you're done, right?
1: Right, exactly. So he they knew at that you point next he was toying with them.
0: Right, right. So anyway, yeah, I'm thinking I think this was a setup from Weldon knowing that one of them was going to swipe that disc.
1: Yep. He led him there to do that. We're back with Weldon, Crockett and Tubbs, and they're on the St. Vitus dance. And he's explaining that he met a low-level dealer, Stiltsy O'Brien, while he was in jail. And that O'Brien told him he had to get out of jail today in order to meet up with Wingo and Pinchada on a big drug deal the next day. I think that was another just set up because he knew all this stuff he had his own solid intel from months of just following and observing what was going on. I, I truly mm-hmm. believe that. So right, right. Tubbs calls Castile and they decide to follow Weldon's lead. Crock and Tubbs and Castile discuss how they're going to go about busting the crew all while Weldon is chugging his clam juice outside of the office. And Mark, we clam end up juice. at Stiltsville now.
0: <laughs> have have you ever had clam juice? No. Never. <laughs> no. But I'm definitely enjoying this orange sunshine from Illuminated Brewer because it's getting better as it goes by. I'm not plugging. It's just good and tasty. So, yes, we arrive at Stiltsville. Just do a Google map of it. It's a pretty cool place. bunch of stilts houses out, outside of Miami in the Atlantic. So we arrive to find the Vice Squad set up surveillance already at one of the houses. And Zito and Switek chimed in with their usual one-liners. Uh, and here we go, just as Weldon predicted, the particulars show up via boat, the other bad guys. Uh, Weldon is pretty much chomping at the bit for uh, Vice to move in. Come on, get him, get him, get him. So Crockett tells him to chill out, basically. After a plane lands and docks next to the one of the houses, that's when Castillo orders everyone to move in. And this is only, what, the second shootout here? Yes. Yep, only the second shootout. The dealers are either killed or arrested. But Weldon is storming in into the stilled house and starts screaming for Tony, crying out in anguish. What am I gonna tell Lorraine? What am I gonna tell Lorraine when he realizes Akaro isn't there? Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, are we? Or is, was some of
1: this an act A show. Right. Just as as we
0: go along, we'll yeah, as we go along, we'll figure just what you said, Tim, an
1: act while sleeping at his office and I think it was more uh, Marty Castillo was meditating he gets a phone call from Weldon telling him that it's over between him and Lorraine and he's getting out I'm done with this yes it's all over
0: Castillo it's all over what's this about Weldon I'm gonna leave Lorraine that woman's nothing but trouble Weldon can't live with him.
1: can't live without him.
0: <laughs> Where are you, Weldon? I'm gone, Castillo. <laughs> you won't have Mr. Hank Weldon to count on anymore. I'm telling you, I am gone. G-O-N-E, history, babe. Split city, man. Bye-bye, like so Longsville, we'll forget it. Come in. <laughs> to do your paperwork? you got to be crazy. You know what I think? I think Lorraine needs a good talking to. That's what I think.
1: Crockett and Tubbs go to Weldon's house to find Lorraine disassembled and no sign of Weldon. At OCD, Crockett and Tubbs and Castillo discuss things when Weldon later calls again, claiming to have arrested a car and given an address. Castillo sends Crockett and Tubbs to go meet Weldon. When Tubbs asks for backup, Castillo tells him he knows what he needs. I know what you need. Trying to don't tell me don't tell me I'd do my job.
0: <laughs> so now we're coming to the close out of the episode here. Uh Crockett and Tubbs, they're driving across Miami and in the background we have one of the two songs. The first one we're not gonna play or say. This one is Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. So they're driving uh throughout Miami to get to uh, an abandoned apartment complex, only to a Find it that it's apparently deserted. Weldon appears very oddly kind of peeking around a corner type of thing. Um Lurking directing them the
1: shadows.
0: So he pretty much directs them to the room where he has allegedly arrested a carl. And I'm thinking, man, this is weird. <laughs> he's just kind of like I think he's stoned. But anyway, Weldon. At this scene says it's just a tired old man and he's relieved that it's all over. Who are we talking about? A Carl or actually Weldon? In hindsight, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. I think so he's anyway, talking about when, himself. So when Tubbs comments that the room's empty, Weldon snatches up a length of pipe and smashes through the uh, plasterboard wall here to reveal a caro shot dead and buried behind the wall dressed in the clothes he was wearing when he was acquitted and clutching the newspaper that reported his release in his emaciated fingers. Tim, was he killed back then? Because he kind of... Okay, he's dead. He looks dead. But he also looks older. So did they recently kill him over like a year ago or back when he was acquitted?
1: I I want to think... You have to assume that it was back when he was acquitted because... That newspaper after, right? they put the newspaper in there as proof of when he died type of thing if because okay. eventually that house was going to get tore down, and somebody right. was going to find that body in there.
0: Right, so maybe this was a good closure for good closure for Weldon, right? Yes. so anyway, uh, Crockett reaches into the wall, pulls out the paper, sees that it's the paper that he was acquitted. Uh, Castillo arrives with Lang. Lang is uh, looking a little worse for the wear hair. And Crockett accuses Lang of knowing about Tony's execution. Lang admits that he helped Weldon build the wall, flatly stating, he was my partner, you understand. And more Metro date officers are surrounding the building and prepare obviously to take Weldon in. And then Crockett confirms that yes, he does understand. And I'm guessing partners till the end, no matter what, I guess, huh?
1: Yes, exactly. And as we know, there's no statute of limitations on homicide. One thing I'd understand is why was Lang brought there?
0: Yeah, exactly. Because he had I, nothing it, to
1: do with his role that he had with the federal government. He had nothing to do with this mm-hmm. investigation other than being questioned by Crockett Tubbs earlier in the episode. Right. So right. why was in, he in the long run?
0: It? Right. In the long run, he was uh, an accomplice. Yes, he was. Building the wall. So he knew about it. But yeah, why was he brought there? That's a real good question. And that's the ending of the episode. You knew.
1: You knew he killed our carol. I helped him build the wall. He was my partner. You understand?
0: You understand? Tim, the ratings for this episode now. Let's take a look. IMDB gives us a skyrocketing 8.9. I think this is the highest so far. Tim, I think this was an awesome episode with one small caveat. Uh Weldon uh, was intense, but the goofy, insane wacko part of him could have been better played out, maybe. Um kind of more like of um I gotta nail this guy type of vibe. He was he was Just goofy weird and being silly. Someone, you know, like a burnt out cop, I don't think would have been silly, goofy, crazy. He would have been just serious crazy, for lack of a better term. I think overall that Weldon was the tired old man giving up and being relieved it's all over and not O'Carroll, like we said. Uh, This was pretty much a simple plot line. It was well established with good actors. Not a lot of BS scenes or multiple shootouts or played out. Scenes like the driving scene, they probably could have done, done that for 10 minutes, but thank God they didn't. So anyway, we also had some good cameos from uh, Gina and Trudy and Zito and Swiatek. Uh Personally, I'd like to boat out to the uh, to what's left of the stilled film myself and take a look at it. Tim?
1: Mark, it was a fantastic episode. What seemed like an unstable former cop leading Crockett and Tugs on a wild goose chase turned out to be a big bust for the OCB team along with solving of a cold case with Weldon for the assist on this one, the best scene where I was howling for about five minutes was I had to stop where I was watching because i watched watching a Roku now. I had to pause that was the Castile long, cold stare at Weldon before <laughs> shaking his hand. I was, hey, I when just he first that, met him. <laughs> that was like one of the best to to this point of our, what we've watched in these first two seasons, that was the best Castillo stare it's around that somebody... He, he, he didn't... You walk.
0: know what was going through his mind. It was kind of like, who, who the, the hell is are this you? <laughs> Who's yeah. this jamoke?
1: You know, to me, Marty was emulating a Teddy Roosevelt by staring coldly while carrying a big stick. It was just so freaking awesome. A man of few words who took up a lot of space on a small screen. Overall, great episode. That really cemented for me one of the highlights of this episode was that right there because <laughs> he doesn't have to say anything. He just has to stare. He just has to stare.
0: It, depending on the, depending on situation, it's uh, what are you a schmuck or I'm serious. Get the frick out of here or don't BS me. You, you could figure out what he means just by the stare. You know? Yes. <laughs> it's kind of like uh what's the movie? Um, uh, Masters, whatever those Marvel movies are now, Groot, the tree thing. All he has to say is, "I am Groot," and you know what he's talking about. Yes, I mean whatever. But all right, this is where we typically do our Snurd's chalkboard of wisdom and give the rundown of you know what it is and all that. But everyone pretty much already knows this is going to be a little special one here. Um, A little sad time coming in on Tim's part here. Tim,
1: right? Thanks, Mark. Yeah, today is uh, our recording day. Is June 15th, on June 10th, early morning hours, uh, my wife Judy and I had to uh, assist our dog Vino in crossing what's known as the Rainbow Bridge. Definitely very devastating for us. Uh, first few days, you know, first day was shock, second day, sadness. Third day, we're starting to make that adjustment. And then by this past Monday, we started stepping back in our lives without Vino. He was A very special dog he came along in our lives at a time when my mother-in-law was getting ready to exit exit this world after battle with cancer about six hours after Vino's passing I still decided to teach my weekly yoga classes and one of the things that I shared at the end of the the class was a reading of the rainbow bridge poem and so instead of just giving you those usual one little couple line quote i'm going to read this poem uh, and marcus so graciously allowed me to take this little bit of time here it's called the rainbow bridge there's a bridge connecting heaven and earth it is called rainbow bridge because of its many splendid colors Just this side of Rainbow Ridge, there's a land of meadows, hills, and valleys with lush green grass. When beloved pets die, they go to this place. There's always food and water and warm spring weather. The old and frail animals are young again. Those who are maimed are made whole again. They play all day with each other. There's only one thing missing. They are not with their special person who loved them on earth. So each day they run and play until the day comes when one suddenly stops playing and looks up. The nose twitches. The ears are up. The eyes are staring and this one suddenly runs from the group. You have been seen. And when you and your special friend meet, you take him in your arms and embrace. Your face is kissed again and again and again. And you look once more into the eyes of your trusting pet. Then you cross the rainbow bridge together. Never again to be separated.
0: Well put, Tim. Well put. And cheers to Vino. Cheers, cheers to the Vino. Vino. Have sure. that.
1: Have that uh, sunshine beer.
0: Orange sunshine.
1: Orange sunshine on Vino. Yes. Yep.
0: And with that, we'd like to bring this episode of the Vice of Miami podcast to a close. If you like our show, and we really hope that you do, please help us spread the word, people. We can be found on Instagram and Facebook at Vice of Miami podcast and Twitter at podcast vice. Tell a friend and post this and other episodes on your social media. Make sure to tag us at Vice of Miami podcast so we can see it. And if you can, please rate and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or your podcast platform of choice. This really helps us out, people. It only takes a few seconds, and it's going to mean the world to us. It's listeners like you that make what we do here worth it. Many thanks to the following people who've liked, commented, and reviewed our shows on Instagram. We have Kids Lindy Ryman, Pete Vinyl One Hundred, Vice and Easy, Mind Body Badge, Miami Bow.
1: And on Facebook, Mark, we have Hannah Vittanen, C.J. Foster, Eve Chris, Dan Dorr and Lisa Waldstrom.
0: So until next time, we'll see you later on the Vice of Miami podcast show 29 covering season two, episode four, The Dutch Oven. Now beat it, punks.